Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, uh, back and forth, uh, looking at another Bible study too uh, in those evening services. And uh, we're at uh, verse number 11 is where we are in Titus chapter number 2. The first part of the chapter being instruction or direction. Paul said in verse 1, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. He's giving instruction to Titus uh, what to preach and to teach. And he gives specifics about the, the men, the grown men, the aged men. And then he gives specifics about uh, the aged women, uh, the, the, the women uh, that are older in the church. And then to the young women, how the older women are to impart things to the younger women. And then to the young men, he gives instruction uh, to the young men and how they're to be taught. And then he even mentions servants in verse number 9. And then the thing kind of shifts when you get to verse 11. Paul says this in verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That's what we're going to look at this morning, the grace of God, just simply the grace of God. That word for there at the beginning means because of verse 1 through 10. That, that's what it is. He, he could have just as easily be said uh, when he was writing this, men and women of all ages ought to live a certain way, that's verse 1 through 10, because. He could have put the word because in there. This is why you give the instruction, Titus. This is why you tell men to live this way, women to live this way, and young adults, boys and girls alike. This is why you tell them to live this way. Because the grace of God. The grace of God. There's a lot of things that encompass the Christian faith. There's a lot of things that we preach about. There's a lot of things we teach about. There's a lot of things that we talk about. There's a lot of instruction. There's a lot of, uh, if you want to call them do's and don'ts in the Christian life. You know, but there's nothing, nothing that trumps the grace of God. Not one thing that's more important in all of Scripture than the grace of God. Jesus, we talked about this a week or so ago when the young lawyer came to him and was trying to trip him up, ask him the question about the greatest commandment. And Jesus told him, of course, it was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and then to treat your neighbor as yourself. He said, the second's like unto it, which means the second one carries just as much weight as the first one. You can't separate them. They, they're equal. He said, it's like unto it. You love your neighbor as yourself. And he summed it up by saying, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus said... If you don't get these two right, nothing else in your life matters. But nothing matters if you miss these two things, is what Jesus said. Well, those two things really are the 
they're, they're the outward fruit, if you want to call it that, of the grace experience. Because if God's grace is real in your life, if you've experienced God's grace, you know what? You'll love God more than you love anything else. Because you'll realize life ain't about religion. Life's not about Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic or nothing else. Life is about knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and have a personal relationship with Him and having a walk with Him. How, you can't have a personal relationship with somebody if you don't walk with them. If, if you don't fellowship together. If, if you don't agree on things. You can't have a home and a marriage and a family if the husband and the wife don't agree on things. You, you, you can't be productive. You can't have a relationship. You can have a civil union on a piece of paper. But if you're not getting along, then you're not having relationship. You're not having fellowship. You're not having what God intended for you to have. You see? So there is a difference in religion and having a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And if the grace of God has ever been real to you, then you realize it's all about relationship. It's all about Him. And it's not about anything else that we might think or, or that we could say or do or talk about. It's just all about Him. So why do we live a certain way. Why do we do certain things and not do certain things and why, why do we act a certain way? This thought continues all the way through verse 15 and, and we'll get to, to that later. We won't have time this morning uh, but I, I just want to talk to you today about just simply the grace of God. There's a, a well-known pastor here in the Birmingham area, and uh, the Lord worked it out just through, you know, friendships and relationships that we uh, got to to know each other. And uh, he he taught me this phrase several years ago. Uh, he said, "We don't minimize sin, but we maximize grace." That's deep. You think about that. We don't minimize any sin. If you go out the front doors of the church and you get mad because somebody won't let you out in traffic out here on County 10, that's sin. That's just as bad as if you slept out with somebody that wasn't your spouse last night and got drunk and took dope. People don't like it, but it's true. God don't see big sins and little sins. He just sees sins. So we, we don't minimize sin no matter what it is. If, if you did wrong, you did wrong. But we maximize God's grace. That means there's forgiveness for that sin. There's this thing called the blood that covers that sin. That is the, the grace of God. So let's look here at verse 11. There's, there's three, uh, three factors of God's grace that I want you to see in this verse. Number one, notice that it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. It's a sovereign grace. It's a sovereign grace. 
It emanates from God himself. It's not something we, we learn in a book. It, it's not something that was made up uh, somewhere out in the, in the religious universe. It is the very essence of God. It comes from God himself. And there's nothing between the highest point in heaven and the darkest, deepest place in hell that can ever frustrate the grace of God. Now the devil tries. He tries to frustrate. He tries to manipulate. He, he tries to thwart the grace of God. But there's not anything that can, can take away the redemptive power of the grace of God. Why? Because it was God's plan from eternity past. And when God laid out the plan in eternity past, He knew there wasn't anything that was going to be able to change it. When Jesus talked about the church, what did He say about the church? He said it was His church and what? The gates of hell would not prevail against it. The devil tries to manipulate grace and to thwart grace and to minimize grace, but he can't do it. Look here, uh, chapter 1, Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 says, In hope of eternal life, that's salvation, isn't it? That, that's a home in heaven. That's what the whole thing is all about, salvation. In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Grace has been there since before time. Grace has been there since before God ever created the earth. It's been there before time exists. He said he promised it before the world began. Well, it doesn't say grace there. What do you think the hope of eternal life is? If it wasn't for the grace of God, we wouldn't know what eternal life is. We would have no hope. It is the grace of God. It's a sovereign grace that comes from God himself. It's his and it's his alone. It doesn't belong to anybody else. I can't give you grace. I can't extend grace to you. I can offer forgiveness if, I've, if you've wronged me or I've wronged you. We can get together and we can work it out somehow. But that has nothing to do with grace. Grace is 100% totally of God. It's his gift. To mankind. Notice then it's not only sovereign grace, the grace of God, but notice it bringeth salvation and that makes it a saving grace. It's not just sovereign grace, but it's saving grace. Look back in your Bible there, just a few pages to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. Paul again writing a little letter to the church at Ephesus. It's saving grace. Verse number 1 in chapter 2, Paul writes this, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead. Can a dead thing do anything? A dead, king, dead thing can't do anything. So without the quickening power of the Holy Spirit, nothing would work anyhow, would it? Because dead people can't do anything. So he establishes the fact that we're dead in trespasses and sin. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, 
among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse number 4. But God. Y'all to highlight that in your Bible. Every time you read that, y'all to highlight that and draw a red circle around it. But God. Because there was something bad going to happen in your life except for God. But God who is rich in mercy. Grace and mercy are two things that go together. Can't separate them. God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. How are we saved? By grace. Whose grace is it? It's God's grace. It only comes from God. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. What's God's plan? That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding richness of his grace. God wants to show off how important and how, uh, 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 how expensive or, or how fabulous or how wonderful his grace is. That's what he says. In the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I mean, I could spend six months just preaching out of them last two or three verses right there. That, that whole thing in verse 10, that we're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. Good works. God didn't create us just to sit around and do whatever we wanted to do. God didn't create us for our own pleasure. He didn't create us and, and, and offer grace to us and, and allow us to be born again just so we could fill our own whims and wishes. We're saved to show forth the goodness of His grace. We're saved unto good works. That means we ought to be busy about the Lord's business. We ought to be busy doing good things for folks. We ought to be busy being good in the world. I, it's not what I'm going to preach about today, but we could stay there and preach on that for a long time. But don't you notice this thing of saving grace. Paul lays it out here great in these first few verses in chapter number 2. Grace is simply this, the unmerited favor of God. We've all heard the acronym God's riches at Christ's expense, all those different little things. But but. Simply, it is the unmerited favor of God. Here, here's the theological definition. It's getting what I do not deserve. It's getting what I do not deserve. What is that? Life and heaven. That's what grace is. I said grace and mercy are inseparable. Here's what mercy is. Grace is getting what I do not deserve. Mercy is not getting 
what I most certainly deserve. And what is that? Death and hell. I, that would have been a good place for the whole church to say amen unless you want everybody to think you're a hypocrite. Because you don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve God's grace. I'm thankful for God's mercy. Because what I do deserve, death and hell, He does not give me. He does not offer that to me. He offers me a way out of that mercy. In Hebrews, he said, we come boldly before the throne of what? Mercy, that we might, or the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy. It's there. And then find grace. So we got to understand what's ours. Ours is death and hell just based on our birth. See, we're born wrong. That's what verse 1 tells us. And you, if he quickened, who were what? Dead in trespasses and sin. I was born wrong. I was born dead. I was born in trespasses and sin. That's why Nicodemus went to Christ because he couldn't understand all this. In John chapter 3, and Jesus said, Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Why? Because you was born wrong. You was born into the flesh. And you need a spiritual rebirth. We all need to be born again. That's not just some hokey term from the 70s that Southern Baptist evangelists coined and started using. Being born again. Being born again is what Jesus used when he talked to Nicodemus in the dark that night. He said, son, you were born wrong the first time and you need a second birth to be born right the second time. And the only way that happens is through God's grace. We're born wrong. Salvation is based on substitution. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Salvation, our salvation that comes through God's grace is based on substitution. Romans chapter number 6. You know the verse. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So salvation is based on what? The substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. When you sin, it pays a wage, and that wage is death. But God gives a free gift to mankind. It's called grace. He extends grace and mercy our way so that we don't have to die, so that we don't have to go to hell that was not prepared for us but was prepared for the devil and his angels. Look back at chapter 3, Romans chapter 3. God makes the whole case through Paul as he writes this letter to the Romans for the guilt of man and then the provision of salvation for man. Chapter Number 3, look in verse number 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, 
being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. What is he saying there? There's wages to sin and that's death. But God has given us a gift, this gift of eternal life. It comes by His grace. The substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. Why? Because there has to be a wage paid for sin. Now, you can have what you earn or you can have the free gift of God. It's all up to you. There's a lot of religions today that teach you that you have to earn your way to heaven. That you have to do so many of this and so much of that to get to heaven. But I'm telling you this book right here teaches that the only way that you're ever going to get to heaven is to accept the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary, the fact that He bodily resurrected Himself from the dead and that He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's it, period, it's done. By grace are you saved. It's God's grace. It's a saving grace. It comes through belief in what Jesus did at Calvary. It's finished. It's done. It's over. Nothing you can do. The wages of sin is death. You want to earn your way to heaven? You ain't going to make it. Because the wages, the the payment for life is death. That's it. God said it. I didn't. So if you want to work your way to heaven and you want to think you get good enough one day to get to heaven, you keep working, you keep trying, you'll end up right on down there in hell with the devil and all his minions. But if you just by faith accept the fact that Jesus died for you, then God's got saving grace and he wants to give it to you as a gift. It's just a gift. I mean, we know what gifts are. We don't have to spend 30 minutes discussing what a gift is. You don't earn gifts, do you? People just give them to you, don't they? I wish somebody would pull up in the parking lot after church and hand me keys to a new Chevrolet pickup truck. Be a nice gift, wouldn't it? You think I'd ever try to give it back? You're crazy if you do. I mean, that's a gift is just what somebody gives to you. And God says, I've got the gift of eternal life. It's a saving grace. It comes through the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can have it. Sin demands a payment. Jesus paid the price. Your wages can't cover the cost of sin, but His grace can. Now, one more thing that we see in the text there. It's not only sovereign grace. It's not only a saving grace grace but it's a sufficient grace it's a sufficient grace the grace of God it's his and his alone that bringeth salvation it's free to all of us God's given the gift of salvation to all of us that makes it sufficient because he said it hath appeared to all men what does that mean Jesus Christ came he appeared 
God's grace was in the person of Jesus Christ. He appeared to all men. He lived a sinless life. He died in the public square. He was buried in public. His body lay in the grave for three days and three nights. And on that next, uh, that morning of that third day, he was gone. He was not there. And when Mary came to the tomb and discovered that it was empty, he showed up, didn't he? Why? To assure her that he was alive. And what did he tell her? He said, Mary, it's okay, it's me. Go tell the rest of them I'm here. And she went and told them, and but I tell you what, it was on after that. You might be one of them kind that don't shout and don't grunt and don't groan, but I'm telling you what, when they found out he was alive, there was some running and some shouting took place. Why? Because the grace of God had appeared to all men. He's alive now. He came back and he showed himself alive. And then he went and Thomas wasn't there and he came back and Thomas was there. And he said, well, how I know it's you. I don't believe it's you. And what did he do? He said, well, come here, Thomas. Put your hands in the holes. Put your fingers in the holes right here. Feel and see and know. Touch me and know that it's me. He proved himself to be who he was. God's grace appeared. You know what? It's appeared. It's appeared to the whole world. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, it's sufficient for every man, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's for the whole world. It's for everybody that will believe. Turn to Romans chapter 10. You, you know the verses there in Romans chapter 10. Verse 13, But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He talks about the belief, our heart and, and, and all those things. We know those things that, you know, with the heart we believe, with the mouth confession is made unto righteousness. We understand all that stuff. We don't get hung up on it though because it's for whoever will. Revelation chapter 22, he said, any man that thirsts, let him come. Man, if you're thirsty for Jesus, you come on. He's got a drink for you today. He's got what you need. Nobody else does, but Jesus does. Here's, here's the part I like, because I don't like for anybody to have wiggle room or, or think there's a way around or, or, you know, maybe it don't fit or it don't apply. John chapter 1, John chapter number 1, Everybody has opportunity. What did Peter say? Uh, He talked about God being patient and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not God's will for people to die and go to hell, but they will. John chapter 1 and verse 9. That was the true light. John John the Baptist here speaking of Jesus Christ. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Here's the thing. Everybody has the opportunity. Everybody is exposed to the light, but not everybody will walk in the light. Some people don't walk in the light. They make a choice not to walk that path, not to accept that path. They walk in darkness. 
But every man's been exposed to the light. Romans chapter 1, we were there. Romans chapter 1, and I won't read the whole portion of Scripture uh, to you, but Romans chapter 1, if you started there in verse number 16, that's where Paul talks about not being ashamed of the gospel, it being the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And then he goes on to talk about how life is in this world and the wrath of God being revealed from heaven in verse 18. There's the free gift of God's grace in verse 16, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But then there's the wrath of God in verse 18 that's been revealed to man. Look in verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Listen. So that they are without excuse. One day, everybody that did not accept by faith the free gift of God's grace. It's God's grace. It's a saving grace. It's a sufficient grace. And one day, everybody that did not accept the free gift of God's grace will stand before God at what's called the great white throne judgment of God to plead their case why they feel like their wages are good enough to earn them a spot in heaven. And God's going to say, you are without excuse. Period. End of story. They're without excuse. So what does all that mean this morning? Well, God's grace is sovereign. He looked ahead in time. Before he ever laid the mud seals of the world, he looked ahead and he saw you. And he saw me. He knew that I would be born wrong because he knew that Adam would sin. He knew that I'd need a Savior. But way before time began, he had a redemptive plan called grace where his son would come and die on the cross, be buried and raised again the third day to pay the penalty for sin. That's always been God's plan to show off His love. He displayed it at Calvary. And then He gives me a choice whether I'll believe it or not, whether I'll accept it or not. He gives you that same choice today. And I'm telling you, I wouldn't miss heaven because of something I thought. I wouldn't miss heaven because my pride wouldn't let me make sure I wouldn't miss heaven because my grandpa or my grandma or somebody might be disappointed because they thought something I can remember at a time when I was not sure about my salvation I wanted to make sure so me and God just talked about it and everything was okay after that now let us have a little talk with Jesus. I did that. Told him all about my trouble. And everything was alright after that. Sometimes we think we're going to disappoint people. I'll tell you something. I wouldn't miss heaven worrying about what somebody else is going to think. If God spoke to your heart this morning, it's because he has offered you 
and is offering you the free gift of His grace. Not religion, not what grandma and grandpa had, not what you might have grown up in in this church or some other church, not, not some preacher's hand you shook somewhere down at the front, you know. He's not offering you cleanliness through the waters that you got dumped in one time. He's not offering you heaven based on the fact you signed the card and joined a fellowship called a church. He's offering you the death, burial, and the resurrection as a substitutionary payment for your sins. And that's the only thing that's going to get you a home in heaven. Why is all this important? We're going to see as we break down verse 12 through 15 in the coming weeks why verse 11 is so important. It talks about our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, we live in a world where that could happen before we ever get to pack one box today. He could come back before we get out of church today if he don't tell me when to stop. But there's no stopping place when it comes to standing in the gap between people on their way to hell and showing them a way to heaven. Would you just let God speak to you this morning so that you can know for sure that heaven is your home? I mean, it's serious, folks. Religion and, and, the, and, and the wiles of the devil and the schemes of the devil are not going to get us home to heaven. They won't get us through dark days. They won't get us through hard times. You, you may sit and you may wonder sometimes, why does it seem so easy for some Christians? They, they struggle and they go through bad things, but they're always happy. They always got joy in their heart. They don't ever get down. They don't ever complain and grumble and bellyache and groan. Because they have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And they fellowship with Him and they walk with Him. And if that's not you, there's only two things that are possible. Number one, you don't have a relationship with him. You're hanging on to some religious trinket that you've done somewhere in time, some work that you performed, some prayer that you prayed, something you did, and you've not by faith accepted what he did. Or number two, you're just out of fellowship with him. And you're not walking close to him. I'm telling you, you're only one phone call away from it, your whole world coming undone. And if you don't know him today, you won't be able to make it through it. Because you can't walk through life on your own. But you can walk through it with God. Why? Because the same thing we just read, he told Paul in Corinthians. He said, my grace is sufficient. The preacher can't help you. And the deacons can't help you. And the church as a whole can't help you. But God's grace is sufficient to see you through. Do you know him today? Let's bow our heads. She's going to begin to play. And I, I, I just tell you this morning, just sitting right there in your pew, if, if, if God spoke to your heart, he wants to make a change in your life. He's offering you the free gift of his grace. All he wants to know is will you by faith accept it? Preacher, 
God spoke to my heart this morning and, and I, I, I've been confused about some things. But the Holy Spirit's helped me to understand today that, that salvation is by grace through the faith that I have in what He did. It's not anything I can do. And I want that free gift. If that's you this morning, nobody's looking, I just want you to raise your hand. God spoke to my heart. I want the free gift of God's grace in my life. Anybody like that, just raise your hand up and right back down. Anywhere in the building this morning. Preacher, I, I need that gift. I don't have it. I'd like to have it today. Thank you. Preacher, I, I've got God's grace. I understand everything you said this morning. But sometimes it don't seem sufficient to get me through. Maybe it's because there's some things that God wants to speak to you about in your life. Maybe there's some things that are hindering your joy. Some things that are robbing you of the full blessing that God's grace brings in life. He'll begin to reveal those things to you if you'll just open your heart up to Him. If you'll just simply pray the prayer the psalmist wrote, Search me, O God, and try me. Know my heart. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Things aren't going right in your life. Things aren't going like you think they ought to. Pray that prayer. Ask the Lord to show you. And when he does show you, confess it to him. Tell him you see it from his side. You say where he's right and you're wrong. You know what? He'll make all the difference in the world. I don't tell you life will be easy, but I tell you what, it'll be a whole lot sweeter doesn't take the pain away but makes it a whole lot easier to get through the pain doesn't always take the consequences of our sin and wrong away but it sure does make it a whole lot easier to bear up under them when things are under the blood and we know that God's grace is covering us all Father you know our hearts today Lord you know your people God, if there's one here this morning that does not know about this thing called grace, and the Holy Spirit continue to quicken their dead, cold heart so that they might experience your love and your grace. God, for those of us that may be here today and somehow our heart has gotten cold and calloused, God, may the Holy Spirit speak to us so that we can once again feel the fullness of your grace and your mercy in our life. God, we can live it and the fruit of the Spirit will be evident to those around us each and every day. Lord, we're thankful that you've given us your word. We can look at it and we can find things like your grace in it to speak to our hearts and encourage us. Lord, I pray that you'll just help us this afternoon as we part for a little bit and we come back together, Lord, to pack these boxes. God, may we search our hearts in those few hours before we come back so that, God, when we do pack those boxes, we'll be able to pack them in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit so that, God, your saving grace can go into every box. He can go around this world to somebody that may never sit in a church service, may never read a Bible, 
But God, because somebody loved them enough to pack a box, somebody loved them enough to fly an airplane, somebody loved them enough to hand out a box, the Holy Spirit can do His work in their life through the gospel message that's in that box. God, would you help us to see what you can do? We'll just be faithful to love you and serve you each and every day of our life. God, you delight in doing the impossible. We love you for it. And show yourself mighty. Give us a good afternoon of rest. Help us to come back, Lord. Be about your business as we pack these boxes. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to do it. Bless us now as we depart. In Jesus' name. Thank you for being here today. Two o'clock.